From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 351. Today's show is brought to you by Fitbod, Hello, and Text Expander. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by Jason Snell. Hello, Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. How are you? I'm fine and dandy, my friend. We have a hashtag Snell Talk question from Ivan. And Ivan wants mm-hmm. to know, Jason, how do you wake your Mac from sleep? Do you press a specific key on the keyboard? Do you click a mouse key? What do you do? Uh, it's the one and only Ivan. I feel like I've gotten this question before. I feel like I've, Possible. I've, I've gotten this At a before. certain point, we will answer all of the same questions more than once. I, I suppose so. Um, the answer is, I don't. I guess I do have a laptop now. I have a MacBook Air, and I press the space bar. I think that's what I do. I'm pretty sure that's what I do. And on my iPad Pro, when it's in the, uh, the smart keyboard case, I will press the space bar to wake it up, usually. Yeah, space bar's a good one. My, my iMac, I don't put to sleep. <laughs> Although it does have a screensaver, so eventually I will wake it up, and that's generally the space bar. Space bar is my go-to, but I don't generally sleep my my iMac. I start it up every morning, and I shut it down at night. Right. It's a thing I do that apparently lots of people don't do. Although I was thinking about this. Um, if, I, if my next Mac here at my desk is Apple Silicon, I was thinking about the fact that Apple Silicon Macs, because they've got the, the efficiency cores... There's basically no like power nap anymore. They are just capable of running with their efficiency cores as needed and doing stuff in the background. And I thought maybe when I get an Apple Silicon Mac at my desk here, I will consider not shutting it down, but instead putting it to sleep and seeing how that is. But so many years of dealing with laptops that would not wake from sleep and having to reboot when things got weird... Uh, having a desktop again as my primary, I just uh, really enjoyed the idea that every day it was it was fresh and not running for 40 days in a row and weird things start to happen and I have to reboot. And I have to say, it's pretty stable. I very rarely have to restart my computer during the day unless there's a software update or something. What about the uh, potential M1 would maybe change your mind? Is it because of the lower power draw or something? I think, well, partly, but it's also just the idea that it's designed to run, like, without, because power nap, the idea behind power nap was it wakes up occasionally a little bit, does some stuff, and goes back to sleep. And my understanding is that with the M1 Max, it can it can just always be aware. Well, I guess, like an iPad. Right, exactly. You don't, you don't turn it off, do you? You just you don't turn it, it off. Right, and because it and and I think the trick is it's got the low power cores, so it's it's designed to be in a mode. The iPhone and the iPad were always designed to be in a mode where they're on, but only a little bit. <laughs> and um, and I'm intrigued by having by that feature on my desktop Mac that I might just put it to sleep and and see how it goes. But um, I don't I don't normally do that now. Just laptops and, and iPads and things. But spacebar is the answer to Ivan's question. I, uh, the spacebar it's the it's the universal symbol for waking up. The spacebar. If you'd like to send in a question to help us uh, open an episode of Upgrade, just send out a tweet with the hashtag SnowTalk or use question mark SnowTalk in the Relay FM members Discord. We have some follow up on uh, Magic Keyboards, don't we, Jason? Yeah, it's good news. Now I, I feel like we got this right. We we nailed it in the last show, which was. Uh, there was a report that the 12.9-inch Magic Keyboard for the iPad Pro 5th generation um, was coming in, into existence because they wouldn't support the old model. The idea was that all the ones that have been bought for the 12.9 iPad Pro for the last year aren't listed as being supported by the 5th generation. And there was this whole kind of 
I think rightfully so, hubbub about the idea that um, that just makes your already pretty expensive iPad Pro that much more expensive because you're going to have to buy another one of these things that you just bought because it 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 doesn't work. And it seemed weird because the new iPad Pro is not particularly um, large. We said it. it's half a millimeter thicker is all. And so what I said, I think, and I think you agree with me, was this sounds very much like it fits, but it doesn't really meet Apple's exacting specifications. Like it would be a little awkward or it wouldn't close quite right or it wouldn't look quite right. And therefore, Apple's going to say that it's not supported, even though it might be fine. And it turns out that's exactly the case. Apple put out a tech note last week that said it may not precisely fit when closed, especially when screen protectors are applied. And so really, it's more that Apple thought it was awkward enough that they made an iteration of the Magic Keyboard that's a little bit more um, loose fitting, which is probably the case with the um, the folio case that I got that doesn't look any bigger, but it probably has a little bit more give in it for the bigger iPad. Um, and so if you've got a 12.9 inch iPad Pro Magic Keyboard for your 2018 or 2020 iPad Pro and you are thinking of getting this one, um, it sounds like it's going to be fine. Um, you're going to be able to use that that case and that keyboard and it'll work fine. It'll just, you know, be not quite up to Apple's perfect standards. It may be awkward, especially if you've got like a thick screen protector on it or something like that. We had a smart keyboard show up today. I actually hadn't thought to unbox it, uh, but it's the newest one. So it's for the fifth generation iPad because we ordered one of the new iPads. So I should actually try that out too to see if it's any bigger because they did update that one as well. They updated all of them. So I, I will give it a go on one of the older iPads. It makes a difference. This does yeah. this whole thing though to me is like, why did they wait so long to publish this information? Yeah, this looks like a goof, honestly. <laughs> I know, but like, still, it took them the best part of a week to put the tech note together. Yeah. No, I, I do wonder that. I, I think they figured this wasn't an issue because they didn't specifically say it didn't. Like, it, it seemed like they just updated the database with a new set of compatibilities. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where the people, everybody's sort of doing their job, but nobody was really thinking of the higher level thing. And you're right, like... There should have been, this is the kind of thing where maybe there should have been like a PR statement that was like, no, it'll mm -hmm. work. It's fine. And then the tech note gets updated. But instead, it was sort of like, we just found the tech note and said, I mean, who knows? I don't know who found the tech note. Maybe the person who found the tech note was pointed at it by Apple PR. I don't honestly I know. I would assume so. Um, I don't know. There are people who just cruise the tech notes. Yeah. <laughs> well, like Stephen. Uh, Stephen Hackett, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't really know, though, why they didn't just clear this up when the stories came out last week. Yeah. Right, like I don't they know. could have just given a statement to the Verge and said, "No, it will, it will work. It's just not as like as tol the tolerances aren't exactly what we'd like, so we updated it." But you can use your old one. Bingo. I mean, we only bought the new Magic Keyboard, uh, so yeah. So we, I ordered an iPad for Adina, like I said, the twelve point nine, and uh -huh. she was using a twenty eighteen, and she she prefers the smart keyboard to the Magic Keyboard, um, and. So I had to order a new one because the 2018 had a different camera cut out. So it won't fit right. the 2021 20, yes. uh, iPad. Right. They're backward compatible, but not forward compatible. Exactly. Because the, if you remember, that was just it had the one camera and then the 2020 iPad had the big square one. Right. Um, it's either the, that or you yeah. take like scissors and try to cut a hole. And not going to do that. So not no. going to do that. I mean, you know, that, that keyboard, you know, we've had that for 
many years at this point. It was right. my original one that I got when I got that 2018 iPad Pro. We're fine to, to update it. Yeah, I wanted to mention, I was looking at pricing. I didn't order one. <laughs> I did that thing where it's like, oh, but the 16 gigs of RAM we know about now, and that's in the one terabyte and two terabyte models. And you know, do I want that? We don't really know. Is WWDC going to make me more motivated to have one with more RAM or not? I don't really know. And then I priced the one terabyte mo- cellular model. <laughs> it's two thousand dollars. Is that j- without the keyboard? Uh, the, yeah, that's just the iPad. That's a two thousand wow. dollar iPad. I mean, and that's not the most expensive one. That's the one terabyte cellular model. It's nineteen ninety nine. That is, and I just and, yeah okay. And, and, the thing is, the 256 model is not that. It's like $1,399. It's like, it's appreciably cheaper. And I thought, wow, this is a lot of money. And I don't know if I want that. And I, you know, like, how much do you really want a theoretical 16 gigs of RAM? I mean, the, the RAM is real, but what you do with it is still a little bit theoretical. Yeah. Um, and it is this going to be sort of like me paying a lot of money for specs that will never, ever, ever actually be used? I don't know. But what cured me of my dilemma here is that the ship dates for all this stuff was june like late june mm-hmm. and because i i didn't get up at five in the morning because i i wasn't sure i really wanted to buy this and i thought um one well by then we'll know what is going on with ipad os and that'll give me maybe some, <laughs> some information Smart. about it yeah but then you'd be waiting till august <laughs> right and, and then two the um the supply chain uh, like the, the Apple's distribution channels are such that I know for a fact that when it says that uh, you can get an iPad Pro uh, in late June via mail, I would bet you I would bet you nice. serious money that by the end of May I could just literally walk into my local Apple store and and pick one up. You yeah. have this every time, don't you? I feel like recently we keep having these stories where yeah. you you don't Fool me go once, for, shame on me. Yeah, exactly. You don't go for the launch day and then just order one for pickup in your local store. I think yeah. you're right there actually for 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 those products. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's nothing wrong with ordering one that's way out, but I would say anybody out there listening who has ordered one and their ship date is way way out. Um Keep keep your order because you can cancel because one of two things will probably happen. One, it may contract, right? It may come closer and you may discover that your, your ship date is closer than, than they originally said. But two, if you live near an Apple store, once these ship, Apple doesn't put 100% of the models in the online order shipping channel. They don't. Mm-hmm. They put mm-hmm. them in Apple stores. And if you've got Apple stores around, you may very well find yourself... Uh, able to pick one up in an Apple store. So just something to keep in mind. So the products are on sale now, as we were mentioning. Uh, We ordered an iPad and an Apple TV. Um, The iPad is not for me. I'm not ordering one. Uh, I will do what you're doing in the sense of like, I'm not going to get anything and I'll wait for WWDC. And then if it seems like there is a benefit for me ordering one of these, then I'll try and get my hands on one. Um, mm-hmm. But the it's really intriguing. So like most of the ship dates for all of the products have shipped to uh, slipped to June and to late June, which is not particularly outside of the realm of normality. Like after a day or two, that that you could be looking at three or four weeks um, of, of some of the items being pushed out. The thing that's really in- interesting to me, I can't remember a time when this was the case when a new product come out and the delivery date is like twenty first to twenty eighth of May. Like that's the delivery date. Like there's like a week window in there, uh-huh. um, and I just found that really intriguing. And we're going to talk about some of this stuff later, but I guess this is 
Apple kind of hedging against potential supply issues that they might still be having for these products. Yeah, yeah Apple, Apple, we will talk about it. There are definitely going to be issues, and Apple has said that the, they aren't going to have enough to meet demand. So th- it's definitely going to be a challenge. Uh, Stephen Hackett noted in the press release uh, for when they put all the information out about the pre-orders that the green, pink, blue, and silver will be the only iMacs available in retail stores. The rest of the colors have to be ordered online. Yeah. And those are the same colors that are in the low-end model, which is interesting. And I'm, I'm sure the low-end model isn't the only model that'll be in Apple stores, but this is an interesting example of them simplifying their product line uh, mm-hmm. in terms of distribution. I just talked about their retail channel, right? Like yeah. if you if you pre-ordered an orange iMac, you can't hope that it will show up at your local Apple store because they're not going to ship them there at all. At least for now, you never know. By the holidays, I wouldn't be surprised. But um, this is a tech a sales technique, right? It's a it's a dot com exclusive, essentially online exclusive. We're not going to ship these out to the stores uh, because that's that that's seven different. Uh, sets of everything instead of uh, four different sets of everything. I wonder if you if you need a new power uh, adapter or a, a, you have a broken keyboard or something, if your local Apple store will have that in orange or if you'll have to oh, also have to, do that. You have to wait. Um, remotely, yeah. It is not abnormal. I mean, it's actually, it's the way that Apple do it. They only ever have certain specs in the stores anyway. So like you can, it, and it's not always just the base. Like I've gone to a store before and was able to just buy in the store a higher spec model. They keep a few different specs around. But it doesn't surprise me that they're, not planning on having all of the colors with multiple spec tiers in all the stores all the time. It's just too no. much stock to hold. It, it, it's it's a lot. I think that they do, um, they take their shots, right? They have, and this has always been the case, they have configurations that are available. And some of them are even sort of sold as like a build to order, a configure to order configuration. But th- sometimes those configurations that are popular are available in retail stores because they do want to serve their business customers or to upsell somebody on a high-end system, right? They don't want to get somebody in the store saying, I want an iMac today and saying, well, yeah, the one that you have, you want, which is more expensive and will make us more money is not here. Mm-hmm. So go on the web and leave our store or buy a cheaper one. Like they don't want to do that. So they, they want to have a variety of configurations available in the store for you to buy. Um, but there are limits to that. I mean, they're physical limits. These are iMacs, so they're fairly large. And you got to keep them in the back, right? Like there's only so many IMAX you can store back there. AirTags, we got them. It's not a lot yeah. to say that you haven't already heard. Setup is really no. simple. Uh, I got some of the Apple accessories. I think they look really nice. Um, I got the key ring and I've got it on my keys. Uh, all I, of those accessories are, are very, I've got the key ring and I've got a couple of the different straps yeah. and they are... Uh, the the leather stuff, unsurprisingly for Apple, is very well made. Very well made. Um, they're they're all so expensive. So expensive. I, I was looking at like Belkin yeah. having like a twelve dollar key key ring and all that, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, that's that's more reasonable. It's a little bit ridiculous that the AirTag doesn't have its own little hole for putting a key ring in, but at least there are going to be some some more low qual low yeah. uh, cost uh, accessories like the Belkin thing because the Apple stuff, while very nicely made, it's just like that's a lot of money for a for an air tag they're expensive <laughs> it's just... but it's a i think it's, it's like a fashion thing i think they look nice i think they look i have one yeah. of the belkin ones and it's fine but it it looks so what i'll say about the air tag yeah. the air tag i have it in the leather key ring in the brown 
it looks to me like a really nice key ring. Yes. But the Belkin one looks like I have a Bluetooth tracker on my keys. And I'm not saying uh, that that's yeah. bad, but it's just not what I want. Yeah. No, I, and I think that's the rationale is that Apple Apple stuff's going to be expensive, but it's going to be nice. I think that's their goal anyway, right? Is that mm-hmm. it's, it's, yes, it's expensive. And I'm glad there are other options because some people are going to look at that and go, are you kidding me? And other people are going to say, yeah, it's expensive, but it's nice. And this is part of the... The, the the thing that Apple does, right? You get somebody in a store and they buy the AirTag and they're like, oh, well, you know, we've got some, we got a key ring here. And they're like, all right, uh, let's do it. And it costs a lot of money, but it does look good. And because there's no doubt, like I didn't, I didn't pick up the key ring and think this is ridiculous. Well, I did. I thought the price was ridiculous, but I, I didn't pick it up and go, this is a bad value. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, no, it's, it's nice. It's just... I don't know if I would spend this money on something like it, it doesn't necessarily feel like I need that level of niceness. I have a lot of crappy plastic uh, key rings and they're fine. So, yeah, well, you know, but everybody gets to make their own decisions. If you haven't bought air tags yet, you're still making your decision or whatever. Please do yourself a favor and get them engraved. Yes. It's the it's right a must. move. It's the it's right I, move. So Apple sent me for evaluation, a bunch of air tags, yep. and the sad thing about them is that all of mine are blank, mm. and it's they're not interesting. Like this it's is boring. I, I know, I know that uh, there's a lot of skepticism about uh, engraving uh, Apple products because it really is. Apple offers free engraving, and it's nice and all, but it also essentially means that it's a lot harder for you to sell it to someone else because it's got your name on it. And so it suppresses your resale value if you're somebody who resells your your Apple products and all of that. Um, AirTags are not like that. AirTags need personalities. It's a twenty nine dollar tracker. Like you, would and it's not, not your name. Yeah. It's a yeah, and it's not your name. It's a symbol. Mm-hmm. Or you can. Or I mean, I have letter. one of my initials on it. The one on my keys yeah, has my initials that. on it, and I oh, think it we looks know. really nice. A H M H Grimace Ghost Grimace. Yeah. Yep, that's what I went with. And I have the Grimace in mm-hmm. one on my backpack. Yeah, it's nice. and then you know it, and it's like your oh, it's like oh, that's my unicorn one or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like you know what it is and so do that if you're going to buy your text but apple need to have way more options for the engraving i think they I probably know this now i mean this is yeah. something they have been adding to it over time i hope that they keep adding to it i understand why at the same time uh you can't just do any emoji ever possibly ever i can un- i understand why they got to put some kind of limits on it but i want them to keep opening it up for some reason i thought you could share air tags with families but you can't do that uh, it seems like all you can do if you're in a family is turn off the privacy protection thing. So, mm-hmm. like, if you ha- had, like, a shared key, it's not going to say, hey, you're being uh, stalked, basically, to, to the other person in your family. And I think that that's a misstep, and I would like to see them yeah. add that. And I've seen some references. Uh, I think Steve Moser was t- tweeting about this, that there were some references to them adding this. But, like, for example, I can, in fine my see where all of Adina's Apple products are because we're in a family, but I can't yeah. see where her AirTag is. And honestly, that feels more important to me, like to find her bag, her keys or whatever, yeah. than her AirPods. Yeah, she's somewhere else and she says, oh, I left my thing at home, can you find it? And yeah. I'm like, uh, I don't I know. Can't. And like, you can't find it. Just keep playing it. the no. noise, please, for an hour. It seems, it. it seems like a feature that they probably omitted while trying to get it ready to ship. 
Um, yeah, but Jason, on come on. But they had two on, years to ship these things. Well, yeah, they, they did, but I, who knows about the software, <laughs> no, right? I who know, knows what, I know. It's I'm, entirely I'm possible that they got the software to a point where it was shippable, and they said, stop working on AirTags now, mm-hmm. and that was two years ago. But but yes, this it, it is an oversight because they should absolutely have a, a, a at least an option to say, share this in, in the, the family. family. Yeah. That that simple. Yeah. It yeah. is super funny that in the packaging there are references to 2020 and in some cases 2019. 2019. Yeah, unbelievable. Like, mm-hmm. I know that this has been the two-year rumor, but, like, and it's really showing it. I mean, and this this is one of those, to me, where I just think they just lost an entire year, really. Like, 2020 was just not the right time for this product, and I think that they held it for that reason. They also had antitrust stuff that they were battling. I think they just waited it out, um, and that's kind of where we are with it. I like them. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're again so much time spent on such a minor product. But they're they're fine. And the the Find My Network is cool and having the ability to use it cuz it's it's like every iPhone. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Um, like it it's, yeah, it really it's, will make it's pretty a difference. great. And the U1 support is excellent uh the the way that you do the little thing and you like follow the arrow right. around and it starts buzzing when you get close it's really clever which is why the u1 chip was introduced in the fall of 2019 <laughs> yep but the product didn't exist until now but it is a good thing yeah well i'm um i'm going to arizona i'm going to take my first flight that i've Ooh. taken in more than a year um and so i'm 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 air tagging it i got air tag key i got an air tag on my bag i'm gonna i'm gonna not i'm gonna try not to lose my possessions but if i do checking a bag air tag probably not okay if you do that would be interesting because you could watch where the air tag was going inside of the airport or whatever i was actually thinking you know if this if these things uh if these things really become popular if you would have like You encourage your employees in the in the sorting area to have iPhones so that they can track find my tags or something. <laughs> do you do you mount like an iPhone in your sorting room so that it can scan all of the uh, little tags that come through and identify where they are? I don't know. It's uh, it's funny. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Hello. Hello make incredibly comfortable buckwheat pillows. I don't know if you've ever tried a buckwheat pillow. It is not your average fluffy pillow. It's very different. It gives you a level of head and neck support that you've not experienced before because it doesn't collapse under your weight, like the weight of your head, like a traditional pillow would. And they also stay cool and dry compared to feather or foam pillows. Buckwheat tends to breathe more easily, like your air flows through it nicer, so it doesn't get warm, doesn't get humid. No more flipping your pillow over to the cold side because your pillow will always be cool. And you can add or remove a filling to suit your needs as well because it's just like a, it's like they like to, they look like kind of little shells, but you know it's a really interesting thing to like open up the pillow and look in there it's like oh that's not what i thought it looked like at all uh, it's it's very interesting but because of because it's just like a loose uh, filling you can take some out or add more to it so you can change the size and shape of the pillow people have been sleeping on these pillows for years in fact i have as well i've been sl- i have been sleeping every night on a hollow pillow for 3 years now and i absolutely adore it i could not recommend this enough it is a completely different type 
of sleeping experience. It feels way nicer for me. I am completely sold. I'm never going back now. This is the pillow that I love. Hello pillows are made in the USA with quality construction and materials. The certified organic cotton case is cut and sewn for durability, and the buckwheat is grown and milled in the US as well. You should be curious to go and try one of these out for yourself. And you can, because you can sleep on a hollow pillow for 60 nights. And if it isn't for you, just send it back for a full refund. Go to hollowpillow.com slash upgrade right now to get your own buckwheat pillow. That's hollowpillow.com slash upgrade. And if you buy more than one, they have a special discount of up to $20 off. They have fast free shipping of every order. 1% of all profits are also donated to the Nature Conservancy. So give it a try. And if you love it, you keep it. If you don't, you just send it back. Go to H-U-L-L-O-P-I-L-L-O-W, hollowpillow.com slash upgrade. Our thanks to Hello for their support of this show and Relay FM. Out of nowhere, like a flash of lightning, completely surprised I was, Jason Snell, that Apple yes. published their Q2 results a couple of days ago. This is something where I remember them saying it's coming. And it was like uh-huh. the, a week or two before the Apple event. Then the Apple event happened and I completely forgot that there was going to be the results. Yeah. Luckily, I don't have to do charts or listen live like you do. I just wait no. for you to do the work for I, me. I just... I want you know. I check their little thing and put a, a calendar item in my calendar nice. that says Apple results, and then I know that it, that's the day. So yeah, yeah, they did. They're they're, and they were um, interesting, shocking. In fact, I think this is, is probably the right phrase. <laughs> no, I seriously, um, and I wrote about this, but I I was not using exaggeration. I think this is the first time that I've ever been covering Apple's results. That I I literally was wondering if somebody at Apple had typed the numbers wrong. Yep. It's from your <laughs> like Macworld piece. You say this is this the first time right. I've ever looked at the numbers and thought some sort of clerical error had been made. <laughs> I love that. I really love that. It's like, yeah, like a little, like a, one of their guys with the green eye shade, one of their accountants is like on their little numpad and they're like, and they're like added an extra zero. It's like, oh, no, we made a mistake. It really, but no, it was really like this. And this is, it's, it, it was a ridiculous quarter uh, across the board. It's the, it's a holiday quarter. That was really my takeaway. Is that well, that's a what holiday it felt quarter like. it escaped. wasn't actually. It's the quarter after the holiday quarter, yeah. right? Like, yeah. But it looks like a holiday quarter. Yep. You know, Apple's business is seasonal. The holiday quarters are their biggest quarters ever. Mm-hmm. This quarter was almost as big as the 2019 calendar holiday quarter, and bigger than any other previous holiday quarter to 2019. It's the third best quarter Apple has had yeah. in its history. Yeah, behind the calendar 2019 and calendar 2020 holidays this is number three yeah i think ben thompson said in stratechery uh that he thinks this is from his perspective apple's best quarter ever because it's so good and and unexpected aberrant from what we expect right because it's seasonal what you really this is why you do year over year in comparisons instead of sequential comparisons because uh, sequential comparisons are always going to look bad in in the second quarter, except for this year because the yeah, first quarter is the, the holiday quarter, one. <laughs> You'd be and fine. it's so great. <laughs> and this is—I know I've said this before, but this was the thing where I, I always had to convince uh, and explain to my bosses at IDG why MacWorld's traffic always all, was always down and disappointing. And like every year, they'd be like, "Wow, what's going on with your traffic going down?" And I would have to say, "Well, January is MacWorld Expo." That's where Apple makes all of its product announcements. It's the biggest month of the year. Um, and we chart it. If you chart your chart starting in January, 
we always look like we're going down, mm. but we're not. That's the big month, January. And it's a little like that. It's like, don't do it that way. You can't compare it when it's seasonal. You have to. So this is arguably their best quarter ever when you view it as like up 54% in revenue over the year ago quarter. Um, because it's, yeah, it's their third biggest ever and it's not a holiday quarter. It's pretty well. It actually, I think also punctuates when we talk about how the Apple's, uh, size of Apple under Tim Cook versus the size of Apple under Steve Jobs. Like it's really easy to lose sight of the fact that Apple is not remotely the company it was when Steve Jobs was the CEO. It has grown so much, especially in its revenue that it's generating in the, in, in the last decade. And this is a great example of that, where they they now have a ninety a run of the mill quarter that is a ninety billion dollar revenue quarter, which mm-hmm. even two years ago was the holiday quarter, <laughs> and now it's just a quarter that happened a three month span after the holidays, and there are reasons for it, and you know it's not necessarily repeatable, but um it's shocking, and and some of the details product by product are shocking. So yeah, that that is the other part of the story. So I want to give some stats to try and put some of this in perspective because we have just some wild numbers. So the overall revenue is $89.6 billion, which is up 54% year over year, which mm-hmm. is bananas. The iPhone is $47.9 billion, which is up 66% year over year, but this was expected. Yeah, this is uh, that theory that started with the iPhone 6, really, that you know what really drives iPhone sales is a new design, mm-hmm. and that the S years, the the interim years, the gap years are not as impressive because a lot of people wait for the new look iPhone, mm-hmm. and here we had a new iPhone, the iPhone 12, and I think that this shows that theory being correct, that you create this cycle when you change the look that drives a lot of sales. Um and they it also launched a little bit later, which means that this not all the sales fit in the holiday quarter. So some of them pushed into the uh, the March quarter. Yeah, and uh, and that's why you know it was more than half of their revenue for the for the quarter. Yeah. So fifty four percent of overall revenue, and this is a stat that we've been paying attention to more recently for for a couple of reasons. We started paying attention to it when it was going down, and work because it was going down because iPhone revenue was going down. But now that that's mostly calmed down a bit, the fifty four percent of revenue number still shows that like you know Apple is the iPhone business, but. That 54% revenue number when they've had such a good quarter for the iPhone, I think really says a lot about boosting their other products. Right, for sure. Um, I also want to mention a little tidbit that Tim Cook had in the uh, in the analyst call after the results came out, which was that um, he said the best-selling model is the iPhone 12. He listed a bunch of markets where Apple has the two big best-selling phones or the five best-selling phones. Like, very much you you make this kind of money because your product is a hit. However, um, he said also the pro line is selling really well. And they talked a lot about mix, um, which suggests that's like the mix of the product th- that it helped their margins, which I read as being like, we did sell a lot of pros and the pros are more expensive. And so we made, you know, we, we made more money because the mix was good. The one product that he didn't talk about was the um, uh, 12 mini. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I think I'm going to have to buy the Mini this fall because it might be the last one. I'm a little worried about that, and I well, love yeah, the, it so much. The, so. The, the, all the, the rumor reports, the supply chain reports, suggest there'll be a Mini this year and won't be one the year after. 
recognize that. I reckon they'll keep it around on a multi-year refresh. It will replace the SE. That's what I reckon is going to yeah, happen. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Or or at least that they'll just, every couple of years, they'll throw a mini in. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I love the size. I was um, uh, moving some phones around in our house and rolling an older phone that I wasn't using down and all of that stuff. And I was you know holding that, the standard size phones and thinking... I don't want this. <laughs> I really like the mini size. So I, I guess it's me and, and a few of us, but not as many as maybe Apple would like. But this is where it gets really interesting for me. The Mac, $9.1 billion in revenue. That is up 70% year over year, making this the best Mac quarter ever. Of all time. And of the last time. three quarters are the three best Mac quarters of mm-hmm. all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, up 70%. That, that, this and the iPad growth year over year were the ones where I was like, surely this is a mistake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Up 70% year over year. Uh, you know, the, the Mac has been doing pretty well, and they've been showing some pr- pretty good growth on the Mac business, but 70% is not a number that has come out of that product line. Up 70% is just not a thing that has been happening there. That is a huge outlier. Um, but that's how many Macs they sold. I assume that a lot of this is pandemic related and that has driven sales of, of computers and, and iPads too. But I have to think that there's also some pent up demand for the M1 happening here. I think it's pent up demand and also just that they've been reviewed so universally well that I think people may be making purchasing decisions now that they otherwise wouldn't have made. Just know? to be clear, the last three quarters, the Mac has been up year over year in the 20s. 22%, it's a lot. See, this is why like, I don't think that it's this, a lot. Is, this is, could be, could just surely be just like a pandemic related thing. Surely that purchasing's happened by now, like by and large. Like the, the majority of people that needed computers for the pandemic have probably made their decision yeah. before now. I don't know. I don't know. They they talked about it on the call, and I think that they said that certainly some amount of that is probably continues to be this, which is like you know it's oh, it's sure not a, some not not doubt. everybody right not everybody buys right away, and maybe it's like oh as this is worn on, uh, I'm gonna imp- we've been using this older PC or older Mac, and we're gonna update it and get a new one now. And but yeah, it's 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 only part of the story here. It it doesn't explain this on its own. I think. And then the iPad, $7.8 billion, which is up 79% year-over-year. Again, if you look at the year-over-year changes that we've been seeing in the iPad, it's been pretty good this year, this past four quarters, but it's been like 31%, 46%, 41% year-over-year growth. And and the previous cycle is sort of 17%, 22%. It's been kicking around. And then you get up 79% year-over-year. It's just, it is a, a spectacular outlier as well. And, um... However, we've been talking about records. We actually can't talk about iPad records because the iPad, early in the iPad era, when everybody thought, oh my God, this is going to be this huge product for Apple. It's a whole new category. They were regularly doing, I mean, they did like 10 billion several times with the iPad. So it's heights not seen since the early days of the iPad. Um, And then it went kind of like sloped down and then kind of flattened out and then it was come back up. But it's not quite at the at the sort of rolling four quarter average level of where it was at its height, but it's actually kind of close. So it, this is a, another kind of hot, not quite high watermark, but I guess recent high watermark for the iPad. I believe looking at the chart that you put in Macworld, it is the second highest Q2. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is 
pretty remarkable. And mm-hmm. all of the records for the iPad are way back, right? They're yeah. all oh, in the, yeah, in the yeah. old way back. Different, different um, yeah, timeline. I had to do that. On Six Colors, I just have this rolling timeline that's like uh, four years, I think. Mm-hmm. And so for Macworld, I, I, I did the, the life the of the thing. iPad timeline mm-hmm. because that's how far you have to go back to see those, those big uh, sales numbers. But as we mentioned, uh, Apple very specifically warning against supply shortages for the iMac and iPad. And this is because of the global semiconductor shortage. People were wondering, are Apple going to be affected by this? Maybe, maybe not. No, it doesn't matter. You can have all the money in the world. You can't get around this. Yeah, Tim Cook made the point, in fact, that that this is, what do you call it, legacy nodes? (laughs) What does that mean? I don't know. Here's what it sounds like. It sounds like there are a lot of a lot of stuff that goes into a Mac or an iPad and less maybe to an iPhone. Um and a lot of it is high tech cutting edge M1 chip stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. But there's some stuff that sort of Apple buys and everybody else buys, ever, literally everybody else in the world buys for their products. And those are the ones that are in short supply. That's where Apple is bitten by this global shortage is that um, as what Tim Cook said was um, Apple knows what its demand is, but Apple has no idea what all the other industries demand is. And so they can Apple can do its planning. But this is a case where obviously, despite having kind of all the money apple can't buy its way out of this one that there these components are in short supply and i'm sure apple is spending what it feels like it it needs to to try to get what it can from this but there's there's parts that they need <laughs> that to build their systems that they can't get and so their their mac and ipad specifically will be supply constraint now it might be that the iphone also uses some of these things but that they've got enough iphone inventory uh that it doesn't matter one of the things that an analyst asked tim cook is how did you manage to ship so many of these given the shortages and the answer was something like we basically blew through all of our um, contingency margins all of our buffer we crushed it in order Mm. to ship these so that's great but now they're saying essentially it's gone (laughs) And so we're not going to be able to fill, fulfill demand. It's also an important message for them to send to the the financial people because the whole point here is that as a public company, they're trying to give some sort of sense of how the business is doing and where it's going. So it's important for them to say, we don't actually see demand lagging for the Mac and the iPad so much as we can't make enough. Now, demand might not be at the level that it was this quarter because it's a remarkably high level, but whatever the level of demand Apple anticipates for the iMac and and the, or for the Mac and the iPad in general, it's, uh, (laughs) it's, it's not enough. They can't fulfill that demand. So it's out of balance. They can't make enough. And so they said our iPad and Mac sales figures will be lower next quarter just because if if for no other reason it will be suppressed by the fact that we can't make enough people want to buy them and we can't make enough of them it's not a terrible problem to have no but it's not great you really if somebody wants to give you money for a product you want to be able to give you give them the product talking about components i'll get i'll get back around to that before i explain margin changes so one of the things that's been made quite uh, quite the to-do of in a lot of business press especially is that Apple's gross margin has changed for their products um, in this quarter. So Apple's gross margin has been steady at around 38% 
for a very, very long time. Multiple years, multiple quarters, multiple years. It's kind of just been known. Apple's gross margin is 38%. That's just what it is. However, in the last couple of quarters, it started to creep above 40, now hitting 42.5% this quarter, which is a significant difference. You know, it's been 38% for such a long time, and now we're up to 425 And this has been attributed in part to cost savings, which I think quite clearly is going from Intel to the M1, right? Especially in the Mac. Yeah, it's got to be at least partly yeah. ascribable to the fact that they're not paying Intel. I mean, it's not like the M1 doesn't have costs. They're like, oh, it's Apple's processor. It's free. It's not. They have to pay uh, Taiwan Semiconductor to make it. They have to am- amortize the cost of their chip development, although there they get to amortize their chip development over the Mac. Everything. And the, right? Like the Mac is now part of that calculation when mm-hmm. previously the Mac was straight up just like Intel and and Apple's chip design team like they could ascribe like the T2 or something to it, but really it was not something you could do. So there is cost there, but what is not there is Intel uh, and Intel's whatever you know price Apple is paying for all those Intel processors and Intel's markup, like that's gone. So it's presumably a lot cheaper for Apple to make uh, its own processors than it was to buy Intel's. And that's got that's going to roll into into margin given that they didn't, really change the prices of the products that's got to just roll into profit margin services is 16.9 billion dollars which is up 27 percent yep this is a more inline figure for services services has been growing at 20 plus percent for a while now Mm -hmm. it's a uh it's kind of wild but that's just what it is um, it looks it looks less this quarter because of these gaudy numbers put up by the Mac and the iPad, but it's still just you know that services business is chugging along. It's almost seventeen billion a quarter now, and uh, as I would like to remind people, keep in mind the services business doesn't have forty two percent profit margin. It has in the seventies profit margin. <laughs> it's just all profit for Apple. Like it's Apple spends very little to make enormous amounts of money on services, relatively speaking. And that's one reason you want to grow a services business is it's vastly more profitable. Like every dollar you make in services, you you, you take away more profit than you do from every dollar you make selling iPhones. It's bottom line. So, um, And then yeah, Zach is pointing out in the big. Discord, still up 27% after the uh, small business developer small business plans come into effect yeah well remember all the all the reports that we had about that know, was like that was percentage. really great for any developers yeah. but it, yeah. it hits a very small percentage of the overall revenue of the app store which is in those big companies. but it's just That's it's just proving that point right yeah yeah, yeah. and wearable home and accessories is 7.8 billion dollars up 25 percent year over year yeah and they said a bunch of positive things about apple watch that a lot of the people coming to apple watch are still new people who've never bought an apple watch before that that's a, a large component of apple watch sales and that airpods are doing well and they they didn't they didn't really give it a lot of color which makes me want to peer at it a little bit and say <laughs> well what does that mean but the fact is it was up 25 percent, and i think they had so much else going on that they really just sort of said yeah it's it's doing great and the other thing they said is and air tags are now part of this family i'm like all right okay yeah that's true all right and tim was asked a question Uh, by one of the analysts, about regulatory issues being a potential risk to Apple in the future. Uh, Tim said that, like, Apple and their rules and all that kind of stuff is not casting concrete, and it moves with the times. Mm -hmm. Yep, Apple's just out there moving with the times. Yeah, they sure are. (laughs) They're not casting concrete at all. They're 
they're they're moving with the times. This you, seemed to yeah. me like you and I have talked about the fact that it, it's funny Apple makes that change with the small business program, and you're like, oh, this is interesting. And then when Tim talks to Kara Swisher or something, he says he says, oh, you know, that's not true about us at all. Just look at what we did with the small business program, and you're like, yeah, that's why you did it. Um, this is this seems very much like a message being sent by Tim Cook because the question here that I thought was really good was one of these analysts who you know they're so focused on the details of of supply chain and you know and and uh, gross margin and how many basis points and opex and and foreign exchange and all of these things about like big business um, and sometimes you you think are they thinking larger about regulatory environment and the fact that Apple's business might be dramatically changed if a court or regulator or something forces them to change their business model. And this question was about that. It was framed as like a big philosophical question and got this answer out of Tim Cook, which is, I think, not what the question wanted, but uh, wanted to get out of him. But it was something really interesting. And I thought it sent a message, basically, Apple saying, look, we've already changed. with that program we're willing essentially to make more concessions when he says move with the times i mean what what are the times it's not like there's just the zeitgeist it's like <laughs> oh yeah in the spirit of the we'll age now you take less yeah larger companies will take less money from the people who are filling its app stores no that's not it the spirit of the age is that all the politicians in all the major economies are talking about big tech being a problem. And when Apple comes up, it comes up in the context of it being a gatekeeper of the app store and demanding to take, uh, you know, 30% cut or 15% cut from people. And that that makes them in, in cases where they have an unfair advantage. And like, that's the spirit of the age. That's why Apple needs to move with the times is it's really him saying, we'll make changes if we have to, because uh, everything is, you know, the walls are closing in. Multiple con- Current high profile legal cases that good money bet on would suggest they're not going to win. We're going to talk about one of them in a minute, but like that's the time that we're in, right? So, like, yeah, it probably is going to make a difference. How much of a difference? don't know depends how much of a difference is pushed on them and that's that's what they're moving with what they're moving with is what will the courts of the world tell them they have to do and, and, yeah. and they'll go with that yeah yeah, you know, we're just not casting concrete. Like, if they force us to change, we'll change. Well, and I actually think it's it's the truth, right? Is yeah. is that this is what's going on? And also, the truth is, you never want to be. This is like when any company or industry sees that the jig is up, and like, oh, they're going to regulate us, right? Like, we spent twenty years saying, "Don't regulate us. This isn't an issue." And finally, and that wasn't true. <laughs> it was an issue. And finally the the spirit of the age the uh the uh the courts and the politicians and all that have decided they're going to do something about it that's when you as a company or an industry come to the table and say you know you're right something should be done here's what we propose because what you want to do is control how your business changes and 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 offer things of like what can we do that will satisfy you so that you will go away and not bug us and ruin our business what you don't want is you know it's like a like a, a contract negotiation or any other legal kind of like negotiation. It's like you want to come to an agreement because failing that the judge is just gonna make a is gonna sentence. You want a plea bargain or something like that. This is kind of the plea bargain, which is Apple wants to change with the times and and take itself out of the concrete just enough to get everybody off their backs and. N- 
and just enough that when the the legislatures or the or the regulators look at what they're doing, they're like, yeah, it's not so bad anymore. It's fine. And like it just removes enough wind from their sails that Apple is able to escape without being told something uh, told to do something that that they feel is more catastrophic to mm-hmm. their business. So that's why. You know, I immediately start to think about the Spotify thing, which we're going to talk about in a, in, a, in a little bit, a little bit more. But like, I start to look at stuff like that and think Apple's going to have a response here. And it's probably going to be something like what they did with Amazon, right? They're going to say, oh, new program. Uh, this is for music services. Uh, music services now, we've got a new program where they can use their own uh, in-app purchasing. Uh, we're we're allowing that now, like they did with Amazon, for because you can buy movies and rent movies in the Amazon app on iOS and TVOS, right? Like, that's that that's a break. But no, 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 it's a special program. But Apple will be able to do special programs for a lot of these things that are like the big pain points, and get enough heat off of them. At least that's their hope that they can they can escape uh, without having to have bigger issues. I, I do think that they've also got like. There's, they've got other trap doors that they can use, but like, and, and so we should talk about this more in the next segment, but like Tim Cook's statement there, I don't know. It just really hit me that like, it's such, without saying much, he is laying it out there that Apple will make changes when it has to and already has started um, because they know that like they're, they're not going to. They're not going to get away with it, right? They're not going to get away with it. They can't. They spent a lot of time saying basically like, look, we don't make the rules when they made the rules Mm -hmm. and make a lot of money. And now they realize that the business as usual isn't going to work for them anymore, probably. And so they're probably going to have to make some concessions or they're going to be forced to change. And I think the real question is, is it too late (laughs) or not? Have they pushed this too far or is there still time for them to sort of make concessions that will get the scrutiny off of them? This episode is brought to you by FitBud. FitBud is the fitness app that provides a personalized exercise plan, a fitness plan that actually fits you. When it comes to fitness, FitBud believes everyone can be better. Whether you're working out three days a week, twice a day, or more, less, doesn't matter because FitBud's algorithm will use data and analytics to help you build on your previous workout so that your next is scientifically proven to be better than the last. FitBot has been fine-tuned by the best personal trainers, certified personal trainers, in fact, to bring you the very best of practices in strength training and more straight to your phone and in little videos and in little instructions. Super easy. Then your workout program is tailored exactly to meet your needs. It's going to suit your body experience, your environment, your goals. And that way they'll be able to help you exactly with just doing the right amount of training. It can be hard to know how much you should be doing while exercising. So FitBod figures that out for you. It's also going to mix up your muscle groups, exercise sets, rep and weight over time to keep you on top form, to keep you on the right path and help you in taking steps towards becoming a better version of yourself. No matter what access you have to equipment or whatever, FitBod has everything you're going to need. If you're at home, you don't have any equipment, they have a bunch of bodyweight workouts. If you have access to gym stuff, they have great workout options there too. They're going to have it all for you. I really love how easy it is inside of the app to take a look at what your exercise routine is going to be. Before you even get started, you can go in, you can read a little bit of information. They have these little videos that show you how to perform the exercise. You know, whether it's learning something for the first time or 
refreshing yourself with it. They make it really, really easy to do that. It's also really great that you can go in when the workout's done and you can look at uh, what areas of my body did I exercise today. Like it can show you like these muscles, these areas were the parts that got the most work. And they can show you all of that because the app's working it out because when you come back in next time, they're going to mix that up. So you're not just doing the same things over and over again. It's really clever. Fitbot is available on iOS and Android and you can get started right now by going to fitbot.me slash upgrade and you'll also get 25% off your membership. That's fitbot.me slash upgrade to try out Fitbot for free and get 25% off your Fitbot membership when you sign up. Our thanks to Fitbod for their support of this show and Relay FM. So I think, Jason, it mm-hmm. might be too late for Apple to try and squirm out some of this stuff. The walls closing in, yeah. Big yeah, it time. might be. It because might be. I mean, you never know. They're they're a big company with lots of money, but it things have if it does feel a little bit like they waited a little too long though, doesn't it? Well, I mean, the the <laughs> the judgments have begun. Uh the European Commission um, it has been going... Spotify raised a case with the European Commission back in 2019. It was their Time to Play Fair campaign that they started. It feels like a million years ago. Uh, but now we're actually getting the ruling of this kind of uh, legal proceeding. So the European Commission is issuing charges of antitrust against Apple, in Spotify's case, uh, for unfair practices in the streaming music business. Uh, The European Commission says Apple has a dominant position in the market for the distribution of music streaming apps through its app store, and Apple's rules distort competition in the market for music streaming services by raising the costs of competing streaming app developers. Apple have said that Spotify wants all the benefits of the app store, but don't think they should have to pay for anything for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Spotify has become the largest music subscription service in the world and we're proud of the role we played in that. That makes me so mad to read stuff (laughs) like that. And Apple has argued uh, that the revenue contributes towards the costs of maintaining the app store and enforcing its various content, privacy and security policies. Yeah, Apple's argument, which I think is I mean, there's some truth in it, but I think it's it's an incredibly self-serving argument. Apple's yeah. basically like patting itself on the back saying, we're responsible for Spotify being successful. And you think, well, wait a second, what? And Apple's response would be, well, everybody loves their iPhone. What if Spotify wasn't on the iPhone? We, through our great uh, largesse as a company, built a software development kit and an app store and all of these developer tools that allowed Spotify to make an app on our wonderful phone so that they could build their business. And of course, missing from that is that the value accrues to the iPhone from third-party apps and that if you couldn't use Spotify on your iPhone, it's less valuable. Yeah. And also without Spotify doing what it did, Apple may have never created Apple Music in the first place. Mm. Indeed. Indeed. Um, So I, I get like... Again, are there truths in what Apple is saying? Yes. Apple does... You you could argue anyway that Apple deserves some amount of compensation for supporting third-party developers and building the App Store, right? Like, But Apple has also made it mandatory. And... So it's not just supporting the app store, it's supporting the thing that we force you to use. And like, there is a lot of complexity here. Um, and I, I don't... Well, you see, Jason, I, I, don't I think agree that with Apple, you. Yeah. I agree with you. But the point where it becomes a problem is why it's in 
the European Union, like uh-huh. in the European Commission. It's because then Apple launched their own music streaming service, which they priced the same amount as Spotify, yes. and Apple doesn't pay 30% to anybody else. Yes, well, and this is the core issue with a lot of the stuff where Apple has built a competitor, is Apple has built a competitor on its platform where the rules don't apply to it. Because there's no the rules don't apply to Apple that it needs to share 15 or 30% to a third party, right? It's the third party. It pays itself. Whereas everybody else who's competing with it has to pay Apple or has to degrade its user experience and kick people out of the app and have people go somewhere else and sign up and then log in, which well, is Well, they, they wish they could kick somebody out, but they're not even allowed to do that, right? Like, they're not actually allowed to, say, go somewhere else. Functionally, they kick you out because you can't do it there, and you have to go somewhere else, and you have mm-hmm. to figure that out, right? But that's the that's the thing, is that Apple... And this is not the first time, right? Because the Kindle books and iBook store are a good example of this. Like, these examples continue to exist, where Apple has built a service that competes with other services, but with one key difference that Apple doesn't have to pay uh, the middleman because it is the middleman. And that, that distorts, as the EU said, that distorts competition because of the, because of the app store rules or alternately the degraded user experience because the app store rules functionally bar you from using Apple's payment methods. Um, depending on the margins of your business, essentially you take all your profit has disappeared into Apple's pocket. And so therefore you degrade the user experience and you push people away and say, you've got to go to the web in order to pay for our thing because we're not going to charge you in the app because we would have to give 30% to Apple. So this is the preliminary conclusion. Uh, Apple now has a 12-week period to respond to this preliminary conclusion before then a judgment will be given. Uh, if the judgment is found, like if the judgment matches the preliminary conclusion, Apple will face a couple of things. One would be a potential fine. This fine for antitrust in the European Union could be for up to 10% of Apple's revenue from the previous year, which could be a fine of $27 billion, which is a lot of money. But the bigger Mm -hmm. hit, honestly, could be a requirement for Apple to change the way they conduct their business in at least the European Union. Mm -hmm. Now, I wanted to say to you, you were mentioning a minute ago about you expect Apple to suggest some change to their business like the way they did with Amazon. Are you expecting that they would do this within that 12-week period to get the, basically to get the conclusion to be changed? Is that what you're thinking? I don't know about the timing of it at all, okay. but it just, it just struck me that what the European Commission may want and what Spotify may want and what a lot of other parties want is Apple to drop the demand that all financial transactions for digital goods be processed through Apple. Well, I'm sure the European Commission would like the fine, but that's... Well, they, sure. They can't... If, if Apple changes their business, that kind of isn't a so much of a case anymore. Well, $27 billion is a lot of dollars. If it's a one-time payment, Apple can handle it, right? The yeah. real threat to Apple is long-term yeah. uh, change of their business model. Mm-hmm. So changing everything is probably the easy way out that everybody wants except Apple, right? But it would be very interesting, I guess, if Apple were to take a targeted approach to deal with this issue. And so my example is the Amazon, you know, the video store program that they did, which is like, why is that only 
video? Why is it not Amazon's books? Why is it not Amazon Music? Why is it only video? And I don't know. I think the answer may be because they had a partner somewhere in some country and they wanted to make this deal, but like they created a special program and it means that Amazon will charge your credit card to buy or rent a digital good in the in the App Store. And that is uh really weird because nobody gets to do that, but Amazon can do it with video. So I look at this and I think it really wouldn't be other than the principle of the thing, but if Apple's lawyers are like this is not going our way, right? To it would not be inconsistent with their past behavior to say what if we make an exception for streaming services or what if we make an exception for any service in a category that competes with apple's own services that allows them to have some different rules and would that get would that resolve this would that get them off their back or not i don't know but it is in the list of things that i think in terms of apple moving with the times um, long hair is in, disco is back, whatever the times are, I don't know, for them to offer stuff like that. That's not wholesale, we give up. Because what does the small business program tell us? In addition to the the video program with Amazon, what does the small business program tell us? Small business program tells us that Apple doesn't want to give it all away, but is willing to give a little part of it away in order to keep the bigger part, to lose the battle but win the war. Mm-hmm. And so I look at the Spotify thing and I think, well, they could do that. Like that would be that would be a way for them to get this off their back completely and potentially um, in in other categories too to just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If we if we do it, you can do it. Like if you have a fitness service, you can be in this program. If you have a bookstore, you can be in this program. Anything that we do a service about, all right, you can be in this program, and then you don't have to pay us, um, or you have to offer in-app purchase or you know whatever the rules are like can we get away with something that gets because that's their goal their goal is to get away with as little change as possible but release all the pressure on them and i don't know if they can do it in time i don't know if they're inclined to i don't know if it will allow them to escape but it seems to me that there are ways for apple to kind of like try to finesse this in order to avoid the hammer Um, the hammer may hit them anyway but i feel like there are ways that they could do it now that would be one of them would be like, oh, Spotify, Tidal, Amazon Music, you all can now use your own thing because we have a new program. Isn't it great? Aren't we benevolent? <laughs> it's unrelated. During this 12-week period in which Apple needs to respond to the European Commission in regards to the case of Spotify, they're also going to be in court with Epic. That starts yeah. when this episode is released today. It'd be about a three-week period of time. This is a much more exciting case from the sense of the everyone's involved. Like the witness yeah. list is a who's who and it's full of people. I, I saw that Phil Schiller's going to be there the entire time along with Tim Sweeney. Yeah. Um, and then they're going to be bringing in a bunch of, you know, like the, the most high profile people possible. Everyone's a witness. Uh, this one is going to be fascinating. The amount of stuff yeah. and details we're going to find out, it's going to be so exciting. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. This one, again, not a lawyer, but when I look at the details of this case, I remain skeptical. Uh, a judge can decide whatever. I feel like Epic... I don't know. I'm skeptical of Epic's case here, but Epic will make some interesting points, and I think that even if Epic loses this case... All the dirty laundry is going to be out there. Or to mix metaphors, blood will be in the water, right? 
Apple is losing somehow. Yeah, even, even if, if Apple win. wins the case, yeah. it's going to be not a good thing for Apple. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. I agree. I think it's going to be tough because it's going to be more ammunition, more evidence for whatever uh, politicians want to talk about regulating Apple. Like, And it's funny because a lot of the conversations about big tech being too powerful are about things that really aren't about Apple at all. But Apple has done enough to make enough people angry that about these issues that Apple gets rolled in with the rest and all those other conversations. And then they come to Tim Cook and it's like, yeah. now nah, we, we don't want to talk to you about social media. Or the, right? We just want to talk to you about the App Store. And Apple's yeah. good on yeah. the things that a lot of the other companies are bad on. They're good on the social good issues, right? And part of this is also just because they don't have a social network, right? So like if Apple ran their own social network, they would probably be in some of the same problems that Twitter and Facebook are in around speech and all that kind of stuff. The only argument that Apple gets there is that with the curation of the App Store, they're yeah. accused of like kicking Parler out of the App Store and things like that because that's a because mm-hmm. the argument there would be their complete control of the App Store means that if you're not in Apple's good graces, you are lost in the platform and there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. Uh, one of my other conspiracy theories, while I'm getting them out here, yeah. is um, is in addition to the you know Spotify program essentially that allows allows music services to bypass Apple and isn't that nice that Apple's doing that? Um, I wonder if there are other other things like that. So like Apple spent the last few years building Gatekeeper and notarization and all of these other things in the Mac App Store, and the context has been how do you provide App Store level kind of like control and curation without having a you must use the app store approach that they have on ios and the way that's always been pitched is well the mac doesn't have that model the mac lets you download and run anything and so how can apple make the default more like the app store without it actually being everybody has to be in the app store and that's all true and to apple's credit they have said publicly that if you want to run software on your mac you can you just sort of have to go through some hoops but you can However, as a part of all this, I've started to wonder, is that also Apple <laughs> having a, a trapdoor for sideloading on iOS, right? Because if Apple were forced to sideload on iOS, forced to allow apps that are not in the App Store to be installed on iOS, I wonder if this would be the way that they would do it, right? That they would say, okay, well, here's what we're going to do is we're going to do what we do on the Mac, which is an open platform. And we've got all this technology already. We're going to have, you got to have a, a membership and you have to all that, you know, you have to you have to uh, notarize and then there's a, a setting you have to turn off and you have to go through a warning screen and all of those things that are barriers. And I'm not sure they will get to that point or they will even be allowed to get to that point. But I start to wonder, you know, is that all in play too, in terms of Apple kind of bargaining to try and keep as much control as it can when the threat is that all of its control will be taken away. If I was going to give a fun upgrade conspiracy theory, I would not be surprised if a couple of days before WWDC, they announced massive changes to the App Store. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, what I they've wouldn't... done before when they when they did the subscription changeover and all that. They did it a couple of days before, which was really smart because it didn't make the whole presentation about that one thing. You kind of right. get it out there. It's around the time people are thinking about it. I just think that the wagons are circling, the, the blood's in the water, mm-hmm. the sharks are coming in, like whatever metaphor you want to use. I just don't think 
if they make it out of these two cases somewhat intact, I, I just think that you cannot be as smart as those people are in that building and not realize that you just don't have a lot of legs to stand on anymore. Even if you think you're right, it's very clear now that there is a lot of money in trying to prove you wrong. Well, and, Apple's yeah. Apple's take on this was always, if it ain't broke, don't, don't fix it. It's also why they didn't address some really obvious problems with the App Store, including the fact that it's built on iTunes and it's a hit single model. And so, like, you can't sell upgrades. You still can't sell upgrades. And they've got this subscription model that they're doing now, and and, and apps are adopting that, not necessarily because they want to, but because that's how they have to do it, because that's what Apple has decreed, right? Like, Apple has, for a long time, I would I would actually argue until Phil Schiller kind of took over the App Store, there was a period there where Apple, like, literally had no introspection of the App Store. Like, they never thought about what could be better. Because, like, Why? It, winning is, as the saying goes, a great deodorant. They were making so much money that it didn't matter. And that arrogance uh, has continued, right? Like they're so successful, they make so much money. We just talked about it. That like, who's going to stop us? It's really the attitude. It's like, we have this great platform. People love it. The users love it. The users love the apps. The developers will go along and do what we say. Who's going to stop us? And I, I imagine there was a little voice inside Apple, somebody saying, Oh, the courts will stop you. The EU is going to stop you. Somebody's the, the politicians are going to stop you. Somebody's going to stop you. And it probably took too long for that voice to be heard enough for them to realize it. But when Tim Cook says, we're going to move with the times, I feel like that voice yeah. has been heard now, right? But as we said, is it too late? But yeah, yeah, they, they've gotten to the point now where they realize who's going to stop us is the courts and the law and the governments are going to stop us. And we've, we are going to need, like I said, to scramble to try to make it look like we're responding to criticism in a benevolent way. We've listened to your your questions about this. And so we're, we've got an exciting new program that allows more freedom. Isn't it great? And, mm -hmm. you know, gritted teeth, they don't want to do it. But I do think we've reached the point where Apple's going to start rolling a bunch of things out that they hate, but they know that they have to do it because the alternative is worse, right? The alternative is you can't run an app store anymore or you can't write apps for your own platform anymore or something that's really bad, like really, really, really bad uh, to their you know, future as a company. And so they will make concessions. And, and yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it happens soon, given what's going on here. But um, yeah, we'll see. And, and I want to be clear, although I appreciate Apple talking about the importance of iOS and the app store and curation and security and all of those things. One, Apple hasn't done a really great job with curation on the app store. There's a lot of garbage and uh, scams and stuff in there. So they, they don't really have as strong an argument as they would have if they had to get back to the, it doesn't matter if we're making so much money argument uh, that they, they could have made a better argument if they had policed the app store better, but they didn't. And two, I appreciate that on the Mac, I can run any software I want. I don't like the fact that there are, you know, emulators and stuff that run on iOS that you can't use unless you jailbreak or use other weird means of exploiting iOS yeah. bugs in order to yeah. install software. Like, it's not for everybody. Of course, there will be abuse. There's abuse on the Mac now. That's how malware spreads on the Mac is they tell you how to turn off all the security while you're installing the app. Like, I get it. It's not a great situation in terms of that. At the same time, do I think that iPad and, and iPhone might be, you know, better if you had, you know, the ability to install 
third-party apps on it that didn't go yes, through Apple? They yeah. would be. Yeah, it would be more dangerous, yes. Yeah. It would also be better. So, And Apple would have to compete. That's the other thing. Apple would have to compete on user experience and and say, well, you know, it's better to do it our way because it's easier and faster. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. But you have to compete now. Talking about subscriptions and revenue splits and all that kind of stuff, uh, let's check back in with Apple Podcast subscriptions. Yeah. This is something we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, the dust has kind of settled on this. Uh, I think that by this point, we both kind of feel pretty similarly. Like, this is a somewhat decent, in some instances, pretty good arrangement for certain types of podcasters. Yeah, I wrote a piece about it on Six Colors. Um, I think it's a 1.0 product, essentially. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Anybody who's been through what we've been through in launching subscription services you know, for, for podcast support, uh, it's hard. And there are a lot of people out there who are podcasters who are not going to do the technical work. Mm-hmm. It's just too much who can do this program and allow their listeners who are, hope you know, presumably a lot of them on Apple Podcasts in order to get money from them in an easy way. Um, it, it, there's stuff that it should do that it doesn't currently do um, that we covered. Um, but, you know, I don't want to make the mistake of saying sort of like, well, it's not for me and therefore it's irrelevant because that's not right. Like it, it, it has some interesting aspects, although I think it could be better. Yeah. Um, what struck me though when I was writing that piece and, and the piece is very much like, here's what's good about it. Here what, here's what needs to change. And then the last section is, but here's why it really actually kind of makes me angry is all the other things we just talked about, which is App Store rules mean that nobody can ever compete with this product mm-hmm. on iOS because no podcast app can put a feature. First off, there's some technical issues regarding in-app purchases and how those are handled that are very complicated and would be very hard to overcome. But assuming you could overcome them, if you're Overcast or Castro or Pocket Cast or anybody else, to make it as easy as an in-app purchase, you have to hand all the money to Apple. And at that point, one of two things happens. Either you've put a lot of money into a subscription product that you can make no money from because you're competing with Apple, who's paying itself. Or you have to change the pricing. And that means you are more expensive than Apple. Uh, and that's not great. Or you take your cut out of what you give to the podcaster, and now the podcaster is joining your program but making less money if they're in your podcast app. And it just fundamentally the App Store rules lead to a situation where Apple is able to launch features and services on iOS that cannot be competed with directly because of the App Store rules. And that th- this is the same argument, right? It's the mm-hmm. same argument, which is Apple has created a method where they take a percentage. Anybody else who could implement it would have to pay Apple the same percentage as if Apple's work on that was the same as Apple's work on their own product. Yep. And as a result, Apple has built a barrier there where basically only Apple can do it in a way that makes any sense. You know, the way we make it work is there's like an interesting gray area where we put a link in our show notes that go in every single podcast client, which you can click and it could take you to a checkout page and you sign up and then you get given an RSS feed and you go back to your app and put it in. Now, Apple's not taking any of that because it's not going through the App Store. It's nothing to do with the application. 
it is an outside transaction, right? So like if you're listening in Pocket Cast right now and you click the link, Pocket Cast is not involved in this transaction at all. So no money's owed, owed to Apple, right? Now, this is like an interesting kind of gray area, uh, but like Pocket Cast can't do it themselves, right? They can't say, hey, we're going to handle these subscriptions for you now because if they did that, they wouldn't make any money out of it because they'd have to pay Apple 30% and then they'd have to give us the rest basically to remain um, competitive. And, you know, some apps, including Overcast, used to have a little button that you could tap uh, and it would sense for uh, a tag that was attached to a to any right. kind of subscription field, which we used to do. Um, but that's since gone away because it just wasn't used. It wasn't standardized, so I don't, we never mentioned it. Nobody ever mentioned it. It was just a thing right. that was there. Well, and the truth is also, Mark, when Marco put that in, he knew that if Apple called him on it, he'd have to remove it because technically, even though it's not his money, like it's one of those things where He's fear of app review, yeah. Yeah. fear of yeah. app review leads to, and this is a, a, a put it on the list, fear of app review rejecting your app and destroying your business leads to a level of timidity in development because everybody's afraid that Apple's going to kill their product if they try to do something. Even if the rules, even if you went through the process and and Apple was like, oh no, this is great. Um, who's going to put in all that work and, and then roll the dice and and see if Apple will, con- will be convinced that it's a good idea. So this was always a case where it felt like it was on the edge of what the app store rules even would allow and yeah it's so quiet and nobody noticed it and mm-hmm. it just wasn't it just wasn't a thing it's the story of the app store right which is there's a way to pay but you have to do it in a web browser don't you can't do it in an app except for apple you can do it in an app for apple but nobody else can do that so this is also interesting when looking at spotify so spotify have just announced their plans for podcast subscriptions as well and it's all being run through anchor if you want to go with them um, which is their, the tool that they're using for this. Uh, I believe that it's also working through a kind of a different tool as well, but for most podcasters, they'll use Anchor. Uh, Spotify are taking no cut at all until 2023, where the cut will be 5%, but you do have to arrange your own Stripe account, so you're going to be paying the card processing fees. So yep. actually, once Spotify's cut comes in, the, the difference in money between them and Apple is actually not that much. Yeah. Um, but the good thing about Spotify's system is it's the content that you go through with them. It's not locked to Spotify because it's going through right. Anchor. They give you an R like if you subscribe, you get an RSS feed as well. So it will show up in Spotify once you subscribed because it's all tied together. But you can take the RSS feed with that exclusive content that somebody's using through Spotify's platform. And you can use that to subscribe in any application that you want. Um, now, Spotify are, are doing the thing. They they can't tell you. Like, it's, it's that frustrating thing again, right? So you see that there's exclusive content, and they kind of say, like, this is subscriber-only content, but they don't tell you how to get it. Yeah. Spotify is telling podcasters, you have to put the links in the notes yourself so people can go out and get it. But I'm assuming right. on the back end, the, once you've paid, it then just shows up in your Spotify account. Yeah, the, the magic here of what they're going to do with Anchor is that, first off, unlike Apple Podcasts, which will only work in the Apple Podcasts app on Apple's platforms, mm-hmm. unlike Apple Podcasts, Spotify using Anchor, you can create this subscription feed. And how is that different from what we do? The answer is because it's Anchor, Spotify is tied into Anchor 
and Spotify, when you subscribe to one of those podcasts that's on Anchor, it will just appear, like mm-hmm. you said, in your Spotify app because it has connected you to that, right? It knows that it's you. You're authorized with Spotify. You've linked your account. And and keep in mind, you can't add an external URL podcast in the Spotify app right now. Mm-hmm. That's not a thing you can do. So this is a way that it'll still be listenable inside of uh of spotify where where our our, uh you know our per user member feed url thing doesn't work in spotify right now not right now but spotify i think surprising everybody have said that they want to also allow for companies like ours companies like jason's who have their own memberships that are serviced through another platform or through a platform of their own they want to try and get this content into Spotify. They don't want to do the arbitrary RSS adding thing because it doesn't work with the way that Spotify's kind of infrastructure works. The ins and outs of that, not necessarily important to get into right now. So they are creating a OAuth-based system. So an existing platform would create a hook that you can then basically use your login information in the Spotify app, and then you can get the content straight into Spotify. I think this is fantastic. And Spotify take nothing and they're not asking for anything. They just want yeah. the content because Spotify, their business now is they want to be where you listen to all of your podcasts. So yeah. if that includes these, they want to have them as well. And the, the, this is a case where this is something that, you know, Apple's not interested in doing something like this, but this is, uh, uh, yeah, I'm really interested in no, this. But, but Apple still allow the arbitrary RSS feed thing, right? Right, like, so, that's you know. true. Whereas Spotify had built a complete wall, and then this is a way to get in where you use OAuth. So, so assuming that Memberful, which is our provider of membership uh, services, mm-hmm. supported the OAuth system that Spotify is using to verify somebody as a subscriber... Um, at that point, we would be able to offer membership podcast content inside of Spotify. Which I'm very excited about. Yeah. I want to take a quick sure. side note here now and just say that I don't think Spotify, I think it's pretty clear actually, are not going to be as bad for the podcast industry as everybody had originally feared. It does seem a little less absolutist than we yes. were led to believe early on. So they're embracing openness. I, I love that that's on both sides because membership content can be listened to anywhere right? That's more open than Apple podcast subscriptions are. Um, I feel like that this OAuth system is very creative first in saying like, hey, we don't necessarily want your money, right? Like we don't want all your money. Like if you want to do your own thing, fine. And you can still get to your listeners. You just have to do this little bit of extra work. It's like, okay, fine. And, you know, their other thing is, like, and everyone says, oh, they're just getting ready to do ads and they're going to make their own ad platform and it's going to kill the industry. I don't think this is true at all in the sense of killing the industry. They, Spotify are very clearly building a large user base so they can create their own ads to be inserted into podcasts. And it will probably be a thing that you will say, hey, I want to be a part of this program. I want Spotify's ads. So I will now use either Anchor or Megaphone, which is the two... Um, uh, hosting platforms that they use, and then I can get Spotify's ads put in. But the thing that I just want to mention for this, I think a lot of people forget, is YouTube. YouTube's ads are not the only ads on YouTube videos. And YouTube's right. ads, creators make less money because they're not as well made. Like, 
most of like the, 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 the high paying effective ads on YouTube are the ones that are inside the videos, like our ads are inside of our podcasts. Because and then they are they are like more targeted, they are read by the hosts, which are better, and it requires that if any good host will have done the due diligence and make sure that they're happy with the sponsor or whatever. So I think that those two things can continue to exist on Spotify. It's the same way that they do on YouTube, that Spotify can have their ads, but creators can have their ads as well. And whichever wins, wins, right? So I just think that the cards that that Spotify are playing now, they're kind of like putting it all on the table. And I really just don't think it's as bad as I'd originally feared. And honestly, they're making decisions I wish Apple would make. Yeah, other than the fact that Spotify, I mean, I, I think the problem was this idea that Spotify structured their podcast stuff so that you had to submit to them but also that you couldn't do a custom rss feed which was the only way that we had to do members only content right like they that that wall that has turned out to be a little more porous than we maybe thought and that uh that helps right because that spotify isn't open quite but it's like spotify wants it seems now wants to be part of a larger podcast ecosystem instead of it's like i don't know this is a bad metaphor but like if I talk about that wall, like they open the they open a window or they open the door, mm-hmm. like it's still its own thing, but there are pathways in and out and there's circulation that's allowed to happen. Whereas it seemed when they first did this that they're like, we don't get it. We're just going to build podcast stuff into Spotify uh, where you submit your podcast and they appear in here. And like, we're our own thing and we're going to take podcasting and we're going to go home. Mm-hmm. And with their purchases and some of their announcements that they made, I don't know whether this was their original intent. I suspect not, but they seem to be um, more open to it now. I don't love Spotify, but um, a lot of people use them and their approach seems to have been tempered from what their original uh, approach that was very much like the world happens inside the Spotify app yeah. and nowhere else. I mean, just and for me personally, good. as a listener, I don't want my music and podcasts inside of the same app. And also the, no. the Spotify podcast listening experience, I think is but inferior. But some people do. Yeah, some people do. And, and that's, and that's fine. Right. The, the, in the end, the, this is the biggest problem with Apple's podcast thing. Honestly, is that only works in Apple's app. Mm-hmm. And like, that's fine. Lots of people use Apple's app, but if you're a podcaster and you want to make money by having people support you, being in, having a program that only works in one place is not as good as having a program that works in all places, right? Like that is a problem. And so being on the other side of it and being like, yeah, we're just part of the the whole and you can listen in Spotify too. I, I want to be there. I want our, there are probably people who listen to our members-only podcasts, who mostly listen to podcasts in Spotify, but have to not for us, right? Probably not that many. Well, the other thing is that, that we have listeners in Spotify that don't they become members subscribe. because they can't get the content. Right, same same point. Yeah, exactly. So, sure, I would love for for our stuff to come to where they listen, right? That In the end, that's... The goal of somebody who's making content in a medium or in a in a something like podcasting, right? Mm-hmm. The goal is, I want anybody to be able to hear it wherever they want to hear it. Like, I don't want my I don't get a bonus for the number of people who listen in Overcast or listen in Apple Podcasts, right? It's like I don't have a horse in this race. <laughs> I don't. It is. 
I want to be everywhere. I want everybody to have an opportunity to listen wherever they feel comfortable because I just want the most people to be able to listen. And then fundamentally, yes, I want the most people to be able to become a member and support the show. And so it sounds like Spotify's approach is going to allow us to do that. And that's great because Apple already lets you do that with their approach. Apple's subscription thing is a new thing, but you can already listen to our members podcasts in there. Spotify is the one where you can't. And um, so I'm encouraged by that. This episode is brought to you by Text Expander. Supercharge your team with the power of Text Expander, and everyone's going to be able to do more with the same resources. Less repetition, fewer errors, and greater consistency will have your team feeling like they've hopped off of a bicycle and into a Ferrari. Text Expander helps keep your team consistent, accurate, and current. They can share text and images with everybody else so everyone can stay on track and on message. And everyone's going to share the same messages, get the same answers to all those common customer questions. Text Expander, text Expander helps you work faster and smarter. Using Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations, you can streamline and speed up everything that you type because you can create these powerful snippets that will save you that time so that all you're typing out is just a short abbreviation and Text Expander does the rest of the typing for you. You can also keep your whole team communicating efficiently with consistent language because you can share snippets of marketing messages, email signatures, descriptions of products, and everything else who works on stuff with you. This is something we take advantage of at Relay FM. So we'll have, say, some of our sponsor copy. We'll keep it in Text Expander so we can all easily get to it whenever we need. Or we'll have things that we're sending out to companies that we work with so there is a consistency in the way that things are formatted. So no matter who's sending the message, it's always going to look like it's coming from us, which is awesome. Text Expander is available on Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad, so it can be with you wherever you want to type. Listeners of this show can get 20% off their first year just by going to TextExpander.com slash podcast. You'll learn more about TextExpander here and also sign up for that 20% off your first year. That's TextExpander.com slash podcast. A thanks to TextExpander from our friends at Smile for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's do some hashtag ask upgrade questions. Dan asks, if you only had $1,600 to spend on new hardware and had to pick one, would you go with the 24-inch iMac or the 12.9-inch iPad Pro for Magic Keyboard? So I like this because it's sort of like a, a shopping spree. Yeah. Right? You have you have to buy one. Um, so what would you buy? And you can't buy anything else? Um, I'd get the iPad Pro because I want a, a new iPad Pro because I love the 12.9-inch iPad Pro. And I've got... Uh, macbook air and my ipad my imac pro would not i don't the 24 inch imac isn't the right replacement for it it wouldn't actually be faster in a lot of ways than my imac pro so this one's actually pretty easy for me it would be the ipad pro as of today right now i would get the imac um because one i want it the most because it's beautiful and i like to look at it uh, for my kind of work setups right now, the iMac would actually be of the most benefit to me. Like I don't feel the requirement to change out my iPad right now, but the Mac Mini that I'm recording on and editing on at the studio right now feels so much slower than my M1 MacBook Pro. So I have an Intel Mac Mini. And when I'm editing in Logic, this thing, it's like just chugging. It's not enjoying yeah. it and things are moving slowly and it's 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 a bit of a mess considering as well like and it's 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 upsetting really because this is a six core intel i7 with 32 gigabytes of ram 
and my uh, M1 MacBook Pro with 16 gigabytes of RAM just runs circles around this iMac, around this Mac Mini. So for me right now, I would go with that. And that's just for my own work preferences right now. I can see for a lot of people that the iPad would be the right thing to go for. I think it really depends what you do. I think for most people with that budget, the iPad Pro with Magic Keyboard would be the better option. But it, it kind of depends. Like, do you, Are there specific Mac apps you need to get your work done? If there are, well, that's your answer. But if you're just doing typical regular kinds of work or home-based computing, the iPad Pro is probably the most fun. Eric asked, should Apple add more software power to the iPad Pros and still keep iPadOS the same across the iPad line, or should they break it up? I think one iPadOS makes sense, but remember, Apple often will roll out features that have hardware requirements, right? Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if Apple, uh, at, at the developer conference, said, here's a new feature, but this requires the M1. This requires you know, whatever it is, this much RAM. <laughs> now or, that they're listing RAM, they could do that. All the iPads can do this, but you can do more of this on this iPad. It's like with some of the multitasking stuff, it was like, you know, you could yeah. have two apps side by side, but you can't do slide over or whatever with some of the older iPads when they first introduced that. Or It was some, some like, uh, element yeah. of that. Right. So I don't think it would be unreasonable at all. Like, let's say that the thing Federico keeps talking about, like, hypervisor framework like the ability to run a linux um vm in an ipad Mm -hmm. right i could see apple just saying m1 only and we right now that's ipad pro 2021 only right Mm -hmm. but here's the thing eventually the ipad air will have an m1 in it right in two years (laughs) and then eventually after that maybe the ipad has an m1 in it and the iPad mini has an M1 in it. Maybe, eventually. Right? Eventually, but that, like, yeah. That's, that's what I think that they can do. I don't think they're going to break it apart and say, well, now there's iPad Pro OS and all that. But I think that they, were, they will feel free to re- release features as they have on the Mac that require specific hardware. And you know, below that point, you just don't get it. And that's okay. And that, that, that did happen with multitasking, where originally only like the iPad Air 2 or something mm-hmm. had the ability to do multitasking when the beta came out, because it was the only one capable enough with processor and, and RAM to do it. And then by the time the fall rolled around, they, I think, then had some new iPads that, that better supported it. Like, uh, I think that was when the iPad Pro came out. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's my answer, Eric, is that I think... Apple will feel free to introduce some features that are, for example, M1 only. And over time, more devices will support the M1 and therefore get those features. But originally, it might just be limited to, for example, today's iPad Pros. Matthew, who was the uh, originator, suggestion, suggestioner, that's a terrible word I just made up, of Snell Talk, asks... Oh. Do you think Apple's new podcast subscription model will encourage them to improve or develop their software offering for recording, editing, and publishing podcasts? Um, no. I don't think so either. <laughs> I, would, I, I, I like the idea of this question. It's like, yeah, will they now offer more tools? But I don't, like, So they, are, they have offered more tools for publishing, right? So Apple Podcasts Connect 
which is a thing that has existed before, now has additional features that it needs to have for subscriptions to work. But then because of that, there are some additional things that people can do, uh, whether you like that or not or whatever. There are now new tools. Um, I don't think that this will push them to do more things, which, I mean, and the main thing would be to really improve iPadOS. I mean, if you've, if you've well, listened to the show for more than a couple of years, you would have yeah. heard us talk about this. Well, uh, I think they could put podcasts friendly features in logic for example they could mm-hmm. do that or garage band which they did at one point and then they took them sort of took them back out i could see a scenario where they would you know say oh well we're adding some features to logic or garage band that will automatically upload your podcast to the back end of of podcast connect or whatever yeah i mean I, I don't think it need i'm not thinking that this would the, the features would be tied to subscriptions just the idea of like apple now kind of taking a bigger hand in podcasting again, would that maybe set, have them say like, hey, we now have these new features for podcasters in our software tools? It's not impossible that what has what will happen or has happened is somebody, like I've been, I've been beating on the drum of like Logic and GarageBand being better for podcasters forever, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe there's a meeting where they're like, no, 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 we're a music tool. No, 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 we're a music tool. And then this podcast initiative happens and somebody's like, but what about podcasts? And, and a manager's like, oh, yeah, right, okay, right. So it's possible, but I wouldn't count on it. I feel like Apple's sort of like decided like – their tools aren't required for any of this stuff. It's just podcasts. Mm. And it's been so long that they have not been participants in this actively. So I don't know what they would do. There are a handful of things that I wish they'd add to GarageBand that would make it much more suitable for editing podcasts than it is. Um, And I'd love to see their stuff as we've talked about on iOS, uh, like the pro stuff, because GarageBand on iOS is not suitable for podcast editing, but um, there are other tools too. So I don't know. I don't, I don't expect it. I, I, it's possible. It's always possible, but I think it's, unlikely that this initiative is suddenly going to transform their software strategy regarding audio software. I don't think that's going to happen. And Ben asks, did tvOS 14.5 fix Mike's Apple TV and HomePod issues? I had four days of being able to use my HomePod pair with my Apple TV again until this morning when the failures began again. Oh boy. So I was like, I updated and I was like, all right, I'm going to try this out, right? Like they, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a go. So I've been cut for the last lot, best part of this week. I've been using it. Been great. Love it. And then we were watching uh, Netflix today. All of this with Netflix was perfectly fine. And then today, every five minutes, it was pausing. And I have to play again. And every, every five minutes, pause again. I have yet to do the full factory restore of my Apple TV that I said I was going to do. I haven't done it yet. Um, I'm going to give it a little bit longer with tvOS 14.5. And then I'm I'm going to do that too. It's just one of those things where like, I know it's going to be a pain and it's going to be a bunch of time and I'm not going to want it. And I don't want to do it, right? But I will eventually do it. One thing I don't know, how does tvOS back up? Does it? Like if I do a restore, mm. will everything come back? Or do I think so. Because I know you can do the home screen sharing. I mean, does it will it does it also work with restoring an Apple TV? 
So I, I don't know. I'll find out. Like yeah. I, I think oh, I, everyone in the Discord is now telling me it sinks. Now that I know that, I will just do this at some point in the not-too-distant future just to see if it improves my uh, experience. Just because I've had a couple of people who wrote in that were having the same problem with me, and they did do this, and it fixed it. Now, I've also heard from other people who fixed it in other different ways, and that didn't work for me. Uh, but maybe this one will. I don't know. I think that's it for today's episode, Jason yeah. Snow. If so. you would like to send in a question to help us uh, close out an episode of Upgrade, it could be about anything you want, um, mostly tech focus, so of course, send in a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade or use question mark AskUpgrade in the RelayFM members Discord, which you can get access to if you subscribe for the show. We talk a lot about subscriptions this episode. You're like, hey, what is that subscription thing they keep talking about? They're talking about their own content. Well, Upgrade Plus is what it is. Go to getupgradeplus.com and you will get longer episodes of every single release of Upgrade. Even when we do the bonus ones, when we have drafts, you get a longer episode even. Uh, And also, every episode has no ads as well. Uh, In Upgrade Plus this time, we're going to talk about Jason's experiences of driving a Tesla for a very, very long journey. So if you want to hear about that, go to getupgrade.com plus.com thank you to tax expander fitbod and hello for their support of this episode thank you for listening let me tell you about another show here on relay fm called automators if you want to learn how to make your devices do more for you join david sparks and rosemary orchard they cover a huge number of programs apps and ways that you can automate things in your life find it at relay.fm automators or search for automators wherever you get your podcasts if you've been thinking hey all these cool kids are using their stream decks these days they just did an episode about stream decks so you can find out why people are using those yeah. things and go check it out if you want to find jason online you go to sixcolors.com and he is at j snell on twitter j-s-n-e-l-l and i am at i mike i-m-y-k-e thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of upgrade we'll be back next time until then say goodbye jason snell goodbye mike Curley.